0: All right, let's go to the book of Mark. Book of Mark. And I think I left off last time we finished the first chapter. Mark chapter one, went through all of that and found some good things out there. We found out the preaching of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus and Jesus preaching in Galilee. We saw all of those things. He did a lot of powerful things. And then the multitude was healed And uh, I think we're in chapter 2 now, where it's entitled in my Bible, The Paralytic Healed, in chapter 2. So let's begin reading at verse 1. And when he had come back to Capernaum, several days after it was heard that he was at home. And verse 2 says, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, even near the doors. You can get a picture of the crowds that were there. And he was speaking the word to them and when i looked at that i said to myself the word was speaking the word and i thought to myself when it says and he was speaking the word to them i know what it's like when i speak the word because this is the bible but the word jesus was speaking the word to them and i thought to myself what was jesus saying to them what might he have said to them and so i went over to luke and i want you to turn to luke with me we'll jump right back here luke chapter 4 And let's get an idea of what Jesus could have said to them that would be considered the word. All right, Luke chapter four, take a look at verse 14 and I'll read into it because I want you to hear this. It says in verse 14 of Luke chapter four, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So that's his hometown. And as was custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Now watch this in verse 17. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Now, Jesus specifically opened this thing up and looked for what he was getting ready to say. And he read this to them. Listen, verse 18 the spirit of the lord is upon me (laughs) because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are downtrodden and look at 19 to proclaim the favorable year of the lord and it got worse look at verse 20 and he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down And the eyes all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. (laughs) Can you imagine that? All this time in the synagogue, they have been reading this passage, but there was no one who could say when they read it, this is about me. And the preaching of the gospel that I submit to tell you is that Jesus was sent To open the eyes of blind people. And I believe literal blindness and furthermore, spiritual blindness. It's one thing to heal a blind man's eyes and him still not see God. But it's another thing to heal his eyes where he can see, but to open his eyes and his heart where he can know God. You see, so to be able to see is only one part of what God wants for you. But what he wants you to be able to do is have an open heart to him. So Jesus was going to set the captives free. So I believe that when he began to preach the word, what he was talking about was freedom. He was talking about the gospel in its essence, about deliverance, about those who are being set free from all the bondage that was placed on them, about the life apart from God that they were living. And so he was going to now enlighten them and let them know. That God has come and brought the kingdom of God nigh unto them. And furthermore, what backed up what Jesus was talking about is he actually did the works and demonstrated the gospel. In other words, a lot of us preach the gospel, but Jesus demonstrated the gospel. He didn't just preach about it or talk about it. He demonstrated and we'll see this when we go back over to Mark. Go back over to Mark and take a look at this. So he was speaking the word to them in verse two of chapter two in verse three. And they came bringing to him a paralytic. And we know what a paralytic is and carried by four men. And look at verse four and being unable to get to him because of the crowd. That's very powerful right there. So they didn't give up. They removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. The setting was that Jesus was in the home, and there were so many people in the house, and there were so many people around the house, and they had heard that Jesus was home, and they brought this paralytic who couldn't walk. So they saw that he needed to get to Jesus because they'd seen and heard some of the stuff that had been happening in other places while he was out. And they were not going to stop, they were relentless to get this man before Jesus. So they didn't want to wait in line. They got on the roof, climbed up there. Dug a hole in the roof. Looked down. There was Jesus preaching and teaching. And they took a little pallet and they lowered this man down in front of Jesus. Now, in most churches, and I would say pretty much in all churches, that would be out of order. Right? Because they're preaching. They don't bother Jesus. He's teaching. Why are you doing this? You're disturbing the service. Well, the interesting thing that happened is they dropped this man down in front of Jesus run all these people. <laughs> I wish I was there just to see that but i can gather from that something was getting ready to happen so listen (laughs) and here's the thing that really struck me in verse five and jesus seeing their faith said to the paralytic my son your sins are forgiven what wait a minute i tear the roof up And I make a hole in the middle of of the roof and I interrupt your service and I drop this man down who needs legs and put him in front of everybody in the house. And you say, my son, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) I mean, I thought, wow, Jesus, I thought you would just miraculously just heal the guy. That's what he came for. But I found since then that sometimes when people are sick or something's wrong, something greater is wrong. Something more than his legs and his paralysis was wrong. And God's always going to start with the root of the problem before he deals with the external problem. So, yes, the man needed legs, but he also needed forgiveness. He needed to have the condemnation lifted off of him. We don't know why God would say to him first, be forgiven, because I know that when I get upset sometimes or feel condemned that nothing else seems to work. And that's why God doesn't want us walking around in condemnation. We are convicted as Christians when we read the word, but he does not want us in condemnation. Romans 8 tells us that for now, there is therefore no condemnation for those who walk in Christ Jesus. See, so this man was obviously bothered and laden, heavy laden with something that was burdening him. And Jesus saw that first, but he also saw their faith. And you ask the question, how do you see faith? Well, you see faith when people act. He saw their action. He saw their willingness and their diligence to get this man before him because he saw that they knew within themselves. If we get this man to Jesus, we know he'll get help. And so the Bible says Jesus seeing their faith. So he honored their faith by saying, my son says you have been forgiven. Now, watch what happens to religious people. I want you to see what happens to the religious part of us and the religious part of the church when God decides to do something the way he does it. All right. Because they didn't trust Jesus anyway. They didn't believe in who he was, even though he was doing signs and wonders and all kinds of things. They didn't believe it because during those times, a lot of people came around doing funny stuff. A lot of people came around saying they were the anointed. A lot of prophets came in, false teachers came in. And some of them, just like when Moses had to encounter, like the magicians of Egypt, they could do certain things, you see. But we found out that God is all powerful, while the devil might have some ability to show out in some ways. But God is all powerful. And that's what we got to know at every time. But watch this. Jesus seeing their faith and he sees your faith. He sees your activity. And he also sees when there's inactivity. And verse six. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning where in their hearts, in their hearts. Now, watch this. Verse seven. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You always have naysayers amongst you. You always have people who disbelieve and people who are jealous. And so they don't care that the man was forgiven. Who does he think he is to tell this man that he's forgiven? Only God can do that. Well, that's the point. That's the point. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God was doing it, but they didn't know that he was God in the flesh. They didn't know, had no idea. So they're reasoning within themselves like often we do. When you come to a church or you're around people and around other Christians, you reason within yourself. You know, you can't. It's hard for you to sit and to see God work through other people. For God to do something different than the way you've been taught. We've been taught things all of our life. It may not have been taught right, but that's what you've been taught. Your traditions are what you've been taught. And it's hard. You see a man tear a roof off, let a man down in front of Jesus. And he tells this man, you are forgiven, my son. So look at what Jesus does while they're reasoning. And while they're coming to grips with what this man is doing and how he's able to do it, he's a blasphemer. Only God can say something like that. Watch this. He goes on to say in verse eight, and immediately Jesus aware in his spirit. You see that, that they were reasoning that way within themselves and said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? (laughs) You get called on the carpet right there. He didn't say anything to Jesus. He knew in his spirit. And then he says this. He gives him this understanding in verse nine, which is easier to say to the paralytic. Your sins are forgiven or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk. I mean, he draws an analogy now. He gave this guy forgiveness. And you're having a fit about that, that I've forgiven this guy. But what's easier to say? I mean, you expected me probably it's what he's thinking. You're expecting me to raise him up and that would have been OK for you. But the fact that I said he was forgiven. You don't think that I have the right and authority to say that. So Jesus does something in front of their face now that shuts the whole thing down. I love Jesus. but I tell you, he was not a softy. <laughs> he was not a softy. I'll tell you. Let's take a look at verse nine again, which is easier to say to the paralytic Your sins are forgiven or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk. But watch this now in verse 10. But in order that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and take up your pallet and go home. (laughs) So you think me forgiving him was something. I'm going to take it another step further. Now that he's forgiven, I'm going to give him a way to live. Pick up your pallet and go home. This man could not walk before. He was weighted down with all kinds of sins and problems and issues in his life. Jesus takes care of the sin issue, and then he takes care of the physical issue. And then he says in front of the people, pick up your bed and go home. See, Mark talks a lot about what Jesus did more than what he said. It's an action book. I said that to you in the beginning. It's all about the acts of what Jesus did. And so he did this in front of the people and said, go home. Now watch this in verse 12. And he arose immediately and took up the pallet and went out <laughs> and went out in the sight of all. Now, remember, this guy got let down in the roof. So he came in on the roof and went out the door. All right? And so they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, watch this now. We have never seen anything like this before. And you know, that's what stops most people from believing. I've never seen that. Never seen anything like this before. But see, they didn't have an opportunity to say they'd never seen it because Jesus forgave him and then Jesus healed him. And so that means all the people who came before Jesus could not do what Jesus just did. And even the Pharisees to whom they were listening to every day, they had to say, we have never seen anything like this before. Now, you know, that had to mess up the religious system at this point. Why would I go listen to a Pharisee and a scribe when Jesus is doing things I've never seen before? And I've been with the scribes and the Pharisees the whole time. You see, so now, you know, we got a problem now because now Jesus has come in town and he's upset the system of tradition. He's upset the system of tradition. Right. So (laughs) we've never seen anything like this before. Right. verse 13 and he went out again by the seashore now watch this and all the multitudes were coming to him and he was teaching them now it would probably be the right thing to do after you do something like that you got to talk about it so he started to teach them and i always noticed that teaching always came before the action jesus never did anything unless he prayed first and taught them and then he demonstrated so we have to pray We have to do some teaching and then we got to be ready to demonstrate what it is that we believe. Look at what happens next in verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me just like that. He's sitting in the tax office. He walks in the tax office and said, follow me. He's just sitting there. Now watch this in verse 15. And it came about that he was reclining at the table in his house. So Jesus asked him to follow him and he went to Alphaeus' house and many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them and they were following him. So Jesus takes this man out of his tax office where he was working and he says, come follow me. He goes to the guy's house and a whole gathering of tax gatherers and sinners were there. Now, nobody loved tax gatherers, just like we don't love the IRS. We don't, as people, don't like the IRS. We only like refunds, but we don't like to have to pay. It'd be just like Jesus walking into the IRS and said, come follow me. And everybody would have to get up from their desk and go with Jesus. So Jesus is now sitting with them and he's talking with them. And, you know, and and I relate this story to an experience that I had when I had my deli down in San Diego. And I remember just uh, I had a deli right next to a bar that was uh, full of gay people. So at this time it was called the Bacchus house and a lot of people obviously were not into that. They didn't like that, and especially Christians had their nose up about it. They were angry, telling people they're going to go to hell, all that kind of stuff. You know, I don't waste my time telling people what they already know. So I'm trying to tell them something new. <laughs> hey, man, you know, I go tell somebody that you're going to incite them, and make them mad. Why do that? You're surely going to lose people. And we think we have to just condemn people and tell people stuff. But if you go Jesus approach, you have to teach people. People don't know what's wrong. Just like you didn't know what's wrong. So in my deli, make long story short, I'm there serving everybody, coming through the door. And all of a sudden, some of the people from the Bacchus house start coming over and they wanted food and stuff, so I would make the food, and I would make it even better. I'd spice it up, and I had a thing called safari fries. I'd give them extra safari fries and, and, and sandwiches, and they loved it. They would come over at night, and they'd be doing what they're doing in the house, get hungry, and come over here and eat. And it's the same thing, it's kinda like you're sitting, and you're eating with sinners. You're eating with people. Well, watch what Jesus says with this. Here's the point, because a lot of people, Christians got mad at me. He said, you're sitting here and you're taking care of gay people and you're feeding gay people and you're condoning their lives. This is what they were telling me. I had one guy who claimed he used to be gay. He got delivered. He came into my deli and he said, you are gonna go to hell. And I said, what for? He says, cause you're hanging out with gay people. I used to be gay and I'm delivered from that demon. And I said, you're getting ready to be delivered from my deli. And I pushed him right out the door like that. <laughs> pushed him right out the door. Pushed him out the door. You know, it was like an indignation came and in. I just moved him right out the door, go right outside, push him on the street. And he spit on the ground. He shook the dust. And he said, you're going to go out of business. And I said, you don't know how bad I want to. That was the hardest work I ever done. and will never do it again. I did my time in the deli. Never again. Just because you can cook don't mean you should have a business. Because that will take away the joy of your cooking. And I had to step out of it. But, you know, it was something that just gets tacked on as you do things. And we all go through things. How many things have you done that you were not supposed to be doing that God had to deliver you from? Amen. And I had to be delivered from that deli. 16 hours a day making no money and all that kind of stuff. And it was just the hardest thing I ever did. But I met some wonderful people. I wouldn't have never met Pastor Reggie if I didn't have the deli and a few other people. So sometimes God will take you by the way somewhere and he'll pick up a few people and he'll move on. Just like he picked up Levi. He picked him up. Now watch this. So verse 15, he said, and it came about that he was reclined at the table at his house and many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. He says, for there were many of them and they were following him. Now look at verse 16. And when the scribes, of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax gatherers they began saying to his disciples now listen they talking to the disciples now and that's the worst person to go to is somebody who follows somebody to ask them about the person you need to go to the person if you want to know something about me ask me if you ask somebody that's with me they're not going to be able to give you the full story because they don't know everything and especially when it comes to me because if God changes my mind so does the plans change So what you knew about me yesterday may not be the same today, because whatever God changes, I change with him. So here it is. Listen, this is so funny. So he's eating with them and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Verse 17. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. And so when I was in my deli, I saw it fit to reach out to everybody without any kind of respect of person. Now, believe it or not, in a lot of cases, I got a chance to minister and speak the word of God and actually pray for them in many cases. And that's what I was there for. Sometimes God puts salt in the earth to preserve it. Sometimes it's just preserving because maybe it's not the time yet. But had I not been preserved when I was sinning, when the time came for me to get saved, I would have been dead a long time ago. So for me to bring a little salt and throw it in the area, it was almost like a thing of, OK, that's the grace of God for now. God is going to give grace to them and he's going to call them out of darkness. And those who have ears to hear will come out. Now, I don't know later on how many people actually came out because of the word that we spoke. But one thing for sure, there was a record from heaven left at the Bacchus house. Amen. Yes. Amen. And we have to do that. But if I would had gone in judging and criticizing, who knows? Who knew? Who knew what would happen? Nobody knows. So it's important that we realize that our ministry is not to those who are righteous. It's not to the well folk. If the church is spending time with the church, who's going to get saved? Every time we have a fellowship is all we do is invite us. Then who's going to get saved? And I don't mind us being there, but us should bring somebody that's not us. (laughs) Whenever we do something, if it's 10 of us. And it should be 10 of somebody else that we know to bring in so that they could be affected by the things that affected us. Amen. Amen. And that's the thing we got to do as a church. If we're going to remain salty, if we're going to be light, then we can't be condemning. But yet we have to be gracefully truthful and we have to speak the truth in love every single time. If you don't speak the truth in love, you will lose people every single time. If you would have came to me telling me that what I was doing was a sin and i should stop doing it the first thing i'm going to do is defend myself but if i befriend you and talk to you and form a relationship with you on the basis of having things in common and then the time you have a need guess who you're going to call you're going to call me because i was loving to you and caring for you and when you come to me with your problem i'm going to say do you really want to know well yes i really want to you sure you want to know what you're asking me you're asking me you know i'm a pastor You know, I have a church and you're asking me what to do about this or that. Yes, I do. I'm asking because it may be time at that point. And when I share the word, I don't unload it on them. I start with Jesus. Maybe there's some forgiveness for some things they need before they need healing. I don't go right into praying for healing. I might say, what's condemning? What are you thinking about? What's causing you problems in your mindset? And start to deal with that so you can lift that heavy load. Learn to cast your care on the Lord because he cares for you. Now we're taking their issues in layers off of them. There's layers layers and layers just coming off pretty soon we're getting out to the real problem the sinful condition what causes all the other problems is that we have a terminal illness until we know Jesus we all have been hit with a cancer that have come down from Genesis all the way to now that when Adam and Eve committed high treason against God and sin in the garden we picked up a sin nature that's the crux of all sin the sin nature so you're not a sinner because of what you do you are a sinner because of the way you were born What you do is the outcome of how you were born and the fruit of it. But when you look at the fruit, that's not the root. So we got to get to the root of the problem. The fruit only identifies what kind of fruit it is. But to get to the root of the problem, we got to go to the root of the tree. And that's what it is. So when people have particular sin, I don't care what flavor. There's 31 flavors. You can be gay. You can be lesbian. You can be a murderer, a liar, a cheater, whatever. You pick whatever one you want to do. Satan has all these flavors for you to live by. And any one of them without Christ will cause you to be separate from God. Now, I ask you a question. Can God deliver anybody from any sin? Then why are we so judgmental and critical of people? If God can deliver anybody and I I know we got some people sitting in this room right now that used to be a whatever. And then they became a whoever. (laughs) amen you used to be a whatever whatever was going on that's what you did but then one day god came to you became a whoever because he said whosoever believeth and you became a whosoever at that time because when you are whatever you did everything you wanted to do whatever it was every friday night amen you won't go do this whatever that's what you did he did it and if you liked it you did it again and again and again and then god came to you one day and preached the gospel to you and you said what i'm a whosoever wow I'm going to stop being a whatever and be a whosoever. So God so loved the world that whosoever <laughs> believeth in him. Right? See, now we know be a whosoever. We want to teach people how to be a whosoever and come out of whatever. And so if you believe, if you believe that God is able through Jesus Christ's blood to deliver and set free every malady of human nature. Then we cannot be so judgmental when we approach people, because what you should be looking at is this person is on the verge of a deliverance. You have to know that within yourself. They are on the verge of a deliverance. It might take them a minute. It may happen immediately. Some people got delivered right then. Some people may take a while as a process and some people have to fight until they go. But whatever they have to do, it's better to fight with Christ than to stand alone. Amen. Amen. So I know a lot of us We have reoccurrences in our life. We keep doing things, repeat over and over and over again. God's got grace for that. Yes, sir. I've talked to Pastor Preston. He don't mind me telling you this. He did everything he could the way he wanted to as a whatever. Mm-hmm. And then one day he just said, this is it. I'm done. He said, this is it. I am ready to serve God. And after many, many, he'll tell you his own testimony. I'm going to get in that after many times of doing things and getting himself in trouble. One day he decided that this was it. And I know that God met him that day because that day he never went back. From that day forward, he's been working and trusting God every single day. I talked to Joe the same thing from that day that Joe made the decision for Christ. He has never been back. To a whatever he'd become a whosoever amen. and we can get that and we all have had that amen yes. we all have had that all sinners. all sinners all of us have done it but now that we come to Christ we're no longer sinners we are the righteousness of God yes. you know you can't keep confessing that you're a sinner a lot of times people keep talking about I'm just a yes. sinner saved by the grace of God trying to be humble you are the righteousness of Christ not that you are righteous in and of yourself, but you are righteous because of what Jesus did for you. And you've got to change your mindset. You are no longer just a sinner saved by the grace of God. Who you are is the righteousness of God going somewhere to happen. And if you change your mindset, it'll change your conduct and your behavior. You start to see yourself the way God sees you. God doesn't look at you as a sinner any longer. He looks at you as saved, sanctified and set apart for his use. Amen. You've got to know who you are now that you belong to somebody and you've given your life to him. He's not going to let you keep calling yourself a sinner. And I know people think they're being humble when they I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God. I know it sounds spiritual, but you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus is who you are. And in him, you have all things. Amen. So. Jesus declares that and, and, and he sets them really straight on that. He goes on to verse 18 and John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Listen, they were fasting and they came. They were still making accusations every time Jesus did something. Came to him and said, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And look at what Jesus had to say to them. And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom do not fast. Do they? He asked a rhetorical question. He says, so long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. It's just as simple as that. then he goes on to say in verse, he gives them analogy in verse 20. He says, but the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in that day. Amen. Now look at verse 20 and 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it. And he says, the new from the old and the worse. he says, a worse tear results of it. And so you get a picture of that just alone, is that when you got a new patch of, of cloth and you're trying to plug a hole in an old rug or an old blanket or something like that, and this new patch hasn't been shrunken yet. So you stitch it to the old and then when it washes and dries, it begins to pull away. And it tears. It gets worse than it was. The next statement he makes clears that statement up. Look at what he says. And this is talking about the spirit and the change of life here in verse 22. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost and the skins as well. He says, but one puts new wine into fresh wine skins. So new wine would be wine that is not fermented. It's just, you know, in its stages of starting to begin its fermentation. So you wouldn't take an old wine skin that's been used like an old human body. You know, you try to put the Spirit of God in until it was born again. You got to get a man born again before you put the new wine in him. So you, you have this old wine skin and you got this new wine and you pour it into that skin and then it starts to ferment and it breaks down the skin and you waste the wine in the skin. But no, we need the new wine to go into new wineskins. It's like we need God's spirit to go into a new individual, a person that's been born again. So when God's spirit comes upon us and in us, we want to make sure that we've been born again. We are a new creation so that when God begins to ferment on the inside of us, when he begins to expand on the inside of us, when he begins to age us and mature us, that our bodies can go with it. Amen. Amen. That's what he wants us to do. So we have to learn that when we talk to sinners, we can't make a sinner Do what a saint does. It's trying to tell a pig not to be a pig. A pig's nature is to be a pig. So you can put a bow on his head and buff his hoofs and tell him he's clean. But as soon as you take, (laughs) as soon as you turn the pig loose, where's he going? Where's the pig going when you loose him again? He's going back to the pig pen. Why? Because he's most comfortable in the slop. I don't care how pretty you make, you can have a pretty pig. Pretty bow, buff his hoofs, everything. Clean his little snout up. He walking around, people got pit pigs nowadays. You let that pig go, it's gonna to go to the environment in which he was created for it. And that pig is going to go to the slop, to the mud and everything else, and it's gonna get itself all nasty again. And that's what you do when you tell a sinner to come to church. Now I know this is strange for you. This is why I say this. I don't ask sinners to come to church as though the church is going to save them. Now listen to what I'm saying, drop your rocks. <laughs> Let me finish. (laughs) It's not that I have never asked a sinner to come to church with me, but that's not my practice. Because when I found out who I am, they don't need to come to church. I need to be the church to them. That's right. That's what I'm saying. So I will spend that time ministering to them long before I invite them. In other words, they'll be ready. By the time they get here, I'm just introducing them to the family. See, you need to know the word enough to not say, hey, man, come on, go to church. I me. Mean, no, you need to say, man, come on, have a cup of coffee, give me a tea. Just come on, sit down somewhere on a bench or a park, and let's talk about things. Hey, man, do you mind if I pray with you a little bit? I read the scripture the other day. You mind me sharing it with you? People are going to be polite enough to listen, but see, God's going to be orchestrating some things. So I've got two or three events that happen long before I get them to church. And by the time I get through with them, they'll be like, man, where do you go to church? <laughs> I said, first of all, you know, I'm letting you know that what I'm teaching you, I've learned in my assembly place. But here, guess what? You don't have to go to my church to receive Jesus. Do you believe that he is the son of God, that God sent him to die for your sin and that he died and rose again? Yeah, I can believe that after the things you've been sharing with me. You mind praying with me right now and accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I don't mind. What do I have to do? Say this prayer with me. Now, I've done all this before I got him to the building. Amen. All of this gave him a Bible. Spence. Now, here's where it's going to cost you. Be a discipler because you can't get somebody born again and leave them. It's like you can't have a baby and leave it on the table. If you're going to lead somebody to Christ, you're responsible to disciple that person and connect them with other people to work with that person. That's where the breakoff is. is. You bring them into a church, they get lost and they get messing around with them sour saints. Well, how long you been born again? Uh, I just got born again. Well, just keep on living. Times is hard. Times is hard. Times is rough. The devil ain't mess with you yet because you just a baby scaring a person. You don't do all of that. You don't do all that. You spend. I'm going to say this to you. You're going to have to spend a minimum of about six months to a year with a person, befriending them, discipling them, getting some coffee money so you can give them coffee, tea or give them water, whatever you want. It's going to cost you to help secure them. And God will provide that. And see, and that's what I did when I started the ministry. Now, if I could get people to do what Jesus taught his disciples and his disciples taught us so that we can continue the process, then we would have a church without bounds. Amen. We wouldn't have to bring people to buildings. We can have home fellowships all over the county because you're in the word enough to teach people the word of God. Amen. Amen? Amen. And we'll finish up some next week.